Inflation. Mass shooting after mass shooting. Another upcoming election. What is AI going to do to the humans? Anxiety at an all-time high. The opioid crisis. Porn addiction. Alcohol abuse. Overstressed and overworked and exhausted. Mental health. Right-wing extremists. Left-wing extremists. Liberal agendas, ultra-conservative Christian nationalism, toxic workplaces, racism, sexism, ageism. What does getting woke even mean? Social media wars, actual wars, traffic rage, road rage, raising toddlers, children, and teens, watching your children raise toddlers, children, and teens, paying for college, paying off your own college debt, electric cars or gas-powered cars, rising interest rates, dysfunctional families, cancel culture, critical race theory debates, grieving over the loss of a loved one, moving, dealing with divorce, getting ghosted, backstabbing business partners, gossiping co-workers, emotional abuse, cable news, paying for a blue check on Twitter. Does Elon even know what he's doing with Twitter? Should I get a Threads account? In-laws and outlaws, hard to get along with neighbors, flat tires and car trouble, and might I add your mailbox getting run over, allergies and respiratory infections, knee replacements and hip surgeries, getting old stinks, interviewing for jobs and getting passed over for jobs, trying to hire decent employees for your jobs, home repairs, water heaters busting, your AC going out in the dead of summer, but amidst all that strife, all that tension, and all that mess, you put yourself together. You put on some pants that don't have a last and you came to church, you might have said some four-letter words on the way, preferably not to your four-year-old or your 14-year-old, but it depends on the day, let's be honest. And you found a parking spot because you need some peace for crying out loud. <laughs> or maybe you're at home and you're like, I just couldn't do it. But you got you a fresh cup of coffee, and you sat down, and you tuned in, and you're going to get you some dadgum peace today. <laughs> today, I want to talk about peace. And peace is something often that we think about that we get instead of something that we have. Right? You came, I got to get, get some peace today. I'm going to go take a hike, take a long walk in the woods i got to get some peace. Or go sit on the beach. Amen? Yes. Yes. Praise the Lord. Get some peace. That's kind of the way we, we think about peace. But is that real peace? Don't you need peace when the arrows are flying? Like, don't you need peace in the middle of traffic? In the middle of the mess, in the middle of work drama or family drama, you need peace in the, in the midst of the tension. So if that is the kind of peace that we're looking for, that we want, then that must mean peace must come not from some external stimulus. It must mean that real peace, genuine peace, authentic peace, is something that you have when there's nowhere you can get it. Right? That's kind of the heart of this series that we're continuing th through this summer called Fruitful, where we're talking about what the Apostle Paul called the fruit of the Spirit. He names these nine things when the Spirit is in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. 
And these things are evidence of the Spirit living in us. They are the fruit. They are born because the Spirit lives in us. And just like fruit blossoms on a tree, and fruit tells you what kind of tree it is, these are the things that because the Spirit is rooted deep in us, they come to fruition. They are evident to everyone. So here's what, let me just kind of give, give you a little thing to start off just to think about all of these. No root, no fruit. If the Spirit of God is not rooted in you, then you will not show these attributes. I will not, I will not show evidence of these things in my life. You will not see. So, so today... I'm really talking to the Christians in the room, to the Christians watching. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and if you are new or you're tuning in and you're kind of seeking, searching, and you're not sure where you're at with church and where you're at with faith in Jesus, I'm so glad. I promise you later, kind of we're at, toward the end, I'm going to invite you into something, but I want you to listen in because this is what we believe real Christians should look like. And your experience, one of the reasons you might not be a Christian is your experience is that you have not seen the fruit of the Spirit evidence in people. You've seen people who said they believe something, but there seemed to be no root of the Spirit in their lives because there was no fruit. So, um, but this is supposed to blossom in us. So how can we bear this fruit? And today we're going to talk about two of them. I said we're going to talk about peace, but we're going to talk about peace and gentleness. Now, why are we talking about these together? This is a deeply theological reason because we had seven weeks and nine fruits. <laughs> so we had to fit a couple somewhere. But these seem to work together, right? Because here's what I believe to be true. If you don't have peace, you won't be gentle. They sort of, they sort of go together. When someone is really harsh, you know that something is going on inside them. Right, this harshness shows up. That's the outward thing. But when that happens, you know something is happening underneath. We're not gentle when our spirits are frazzled. And gentleness is kind of a lot like peace, right? It's kind of one of those things we think we get from outside stimuli. Uh, you know, if everything is good around us, we're pretty good to be around. But if things are not good, we're kind of like the Tasmanian devil to be around, we're not very gentle. We just sort of break things in our path. So it, it, gentleness and, and, and peace are very similar that way. And the, the reverse of those things is true, that if someone is gentle, if like you see someone gentle in the midst of chaos, then you know there is something deep in them that transcends this harsh and anxious world. Like, you know, like, there's, he's got something, she's got something in the gentleness is kind of this outward show that, that flows out of something inward. And Paul links these two things together, gentleness and peace, in a letter to a group of Christians. That, the letter's called Philippians. It's to a group of Christians, a church in Philippi. Now, let me say this before we dig into it, the the. The fruit of the Spirit is not the gifts of the Spirit. And if you've been around church any or you've been in Bible studies, you've probably heard that. The gifts of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul makes clear, people have different gifts. 
It says one person has a gift of teaching and preaching, another person has a gifts of service, others have gifts of mercy, gifts of leadership, gifts of administration, and we all bring our different gifts and we make the body of Christ work through our different gifts. So it's okay to say, I don't have that gift of the Spirit. And oftentimes what people do is they take that attitude about the gifts of the Spirit and they put it over here with the fruit of the Spirit. And we give ourselves, we give ourselves an out an excuse, and we'd be like, oh yeah, I just don't have that fruit of the Spirit. I'm just not very patient. I just don't have a lot of self-control, right? I, I just, that's, Paul says the, the fruit of the Spirit, all of them are supposed to show up in our lives. If the Spirit, we don't get an out, we don't get to say, oh, I just don't have that one. Now, you're going to have some, I'm going to have some that we're better at, that, that come more naturally, but all of these nine things are supposed to be attributes of our lives if the Spirit is God is in us. So this is so important today because can I just say a word to the men in the room, to the to brothers, all right? I'm one of you. We don't get to say, well, you know, I'm just not very gentle. I'm a man. If you're not gentle, it's not because you're a man. It's because you have not surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit in that part of your heart because if the Holy Spirit has root in your heart, it will come out as gentleness. So we don't, get to say, we don't get to pick and choose. I just don't have that. I'm just not good at that. You might not be naturally inclined for that, but as the Spirit works in us, it transforms us. So we're going to be looking in Philippians chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, you want to look along. If you're watching along and you've got a Bible there in your lap, and if you're in the room and you do not have a hard copy Bible, we want to give you one. There are some bookshelves when you leave. They are free gifts to you. If you got Paul, the Apostle Paul, if you locked him in a private room and gave him truth serum, he might tell you that the Philippians were his favorite church. They were the first church that he founded in Europe. And, and here's what's interesting. Most scholars believe that they didn't grow to over 100 people. That they were a small church, and yet they were the church that supported him most financially. They were the church that sent him a care package when they were imprisoned through one of their members. When you're in prison, you kind of remember who sends you a care package. And here's what's interesting is that he did not write Philippians out of crisis. Most of the letters Paul writes are because of some kind of theological crisis, like somebody is teaching something different that they shouldn't be teaching. There's some kind of controversy over the works, over the law and grace. There's some kind of ethical crisis or moral crisis. People aren't behaving the way they're supposed to be paying. There's some kind of personal or social crisis going on. But that's not the case with Philippi. There was not any crisis going on. In fact, listen to the opening chapter of Philippians, almost verse 3. Listen to what he says. This is how he opens the letter to them. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
In all my prayers, I thank my God for all of you. I, can I just tell you, I've been a pastor for 23 years, and I've pastored several different churches. Um, it's something for a pastor to say, I thank God for all my church members. It was not mountaintoppers, right? I do thank God for all of you. That's something. Like, I thank God. So he's not writing this out of crisis. There's not something going on. He's just writing this as an, a letter of encouragement. And they needed it. Most of Philippi was, most of them were poor. Uh, they were being persecuted. And he, he wants to encourage them. So this is what it says at the, near the beginning of chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice, he says. I, I want you to rejoice in God. And, of course, their response could have been, hold on, Paul, I'm hurting. We're broke. We're being persecuted. Your answer, my answer might be, listen, we, uh, we're hurting. We're sad. I'm brokenhearted. I've got a lot of tension in my life. I've got a lot of stress. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Paul says, rejoice. Rejoicing is a precursor to peace. In fact, he says, I'll say it again for the people in the back. Right? Again, I say, rejoice. So obviously, if we're going to be people who do this, who rejoice always, then our rejoicing has to be about something that is not circumstantial that is not present in this world because this world isn't always worth rejoicing about, is it? It must mean that our rejoicing is bigger than this world, bigger than circumstances. He goes on in the next verse. <clears throat> he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is here. There's our word, gentleness. Let this gentleness be evident to all. In, in other words, gentleness is not an inward attribute. Gentleness comes out. It shows up in the way that we interact with people, in the way that we treat people. And Paul says, don't just be gentle with people that you like or people that are gentle with you. Who does he say? Gentleness be evident to who? To all. The Greek word for all means all. Some of you heard me say that before. It just means everybody. Let, let your gentleness be evident to all. After all, Paul would say, you have the Spirit of God living in you. I know you're thinking like, well, you don't know my neighbor. You don't know my coworker. You don't know, you know my in-laws. You, you don't know. You've got the Spirit of God living in you. I want you to rejoice in who you are in Jesus, in what Jesus has done for you. And let this gentleness, because of his spirit living in you, be of show everybody. Here's, here's why you can be gentle in the midst of your poverty, Philippians, in the midst of your persecution, in the midst of our angst and angry world with keyboard warriors and everything, right? Did you catch the last part of the line? God is near. Because God is near. Paul would say to them, listen, I know you, I know it's hard. 
I know what you're going through is tough. I'm not telling you it's easy. I know you're going through persecution. I know dealing with your in-laws is hard. I know dealing with the stress at work is hard. I know parenting is hard. I know the struggles you're going with and your health is hard. God is near. You're not in it alone. You are not in this alone. God is near. Dig inside to the real presence of God that overrides the presence of anything else that you encounter. You have the creator of the universe living inside you. Do you get that? Church people, Jesus people. You have the God who made the heavens and the earth. The God who spoke the universe into existence lives inside of you. God is near. So Paul says, because God is near, therefore, do not be anxious about anything. But Paul, you don't know us. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, every situation in your family, every situation at your work, every situation with your health, every situation with your finances, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We present our request to God. Paul says when you feel the anxiety rising in every situation, we present our request to God. The assurance of a close-by God who is listening is an answer for the anxiousness of this world. Now let me say this, because Paul uses this word, you know, do not be anxious. That's the root word for anxiety. Let Let me just say this. If you are suffering from clinical anxiety, do not hear, do not hear, Paul say, do not hear me say, you just need to pray more, and that'll fix everything. And you have probably heard a pastor say that in your past. It can do a lot of damage. Let me just, you're not hearing this pastor say that. God has gifted incredible health professionals and counseling in, in, in psychology, psychiatry, and they, sometimes you need medication to deal with anxiety. Paul would agree, I agree. Paul is not saying You know, just pray and it'll fix all your problems. What he is saying is that there is nothing off limits between you and God. That whatever is making you anxious, you do not have to be fearful. You, God wants to hear everything you've got to say about the test you're taking, the relationship, the tough conversation, the interview, the bad thoughts you've got swirling around your head. Would you just come and lay it down at the feet of the king of creation. Would you come lay it down at the feet of the king who conquered death and watch what happens? Paul says, this might happen. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we take whatever is making us anxious, tense, stressed out to God, 
It will create a peace that guards our hearts and our minds from the crazy world around us. Does it say, Paul says, if you'll just take it all to Jesus, he'll make all your problems go away. Does it say that? Does it say, if you'll just take it all to Jesus, he will fix it? Right? He will bring down, you know, fire from heaven on that person you want revenge. Doesn't say that. What does it say? That he will guard your hearts and your minds. He will, put a, he will put protection around your heart, around your mind in this crazy, crazy world. And don't miss this from Paul because we all want peace. Don't miss this. Peace is partnered with prayer. Peace comes after prayer. Paul says if you want this peace, if you want this peace that, that transcends understanding, then the way you get that, the first step to that is to take everything that is making you anxious to God. The key that unlocks this peace of God which surpasses understanding is prayer. And when we place the troubles of our lives into the hands of our Heavenly Father, Paul says that we, we have access to a kind of peace that is incomprehensible to earthlings. Like people are like, how are you so calm in this situation? I'd be going crazy if it was my child. I'd be losing my mind if I was dealing with this at work. How are you so calm? And you're like, I, don't, I got this peace that doesn't come from here. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to the world. If you focus on what is going on in the world, you will only get more anxious, more harsh, and less peaceful. And I know this sounds so elementary. I know this sounds elementary. But what if you just made prayer a priority? What if you just made prayer a priority? Or let me say it this way. If you don't make prayer a priority, you will miss out on the access you have to this peace that surpasses understanding. You will miss out on access. There is no other way to get this peace that surpasses understanding without a partnership with prayer. It starts with prayer. What if you just started every day and took five to ten minutes and just laid down everything at the feet of Jesus? And then, so if you're not a person of faith, if you're not a person of faith, then you're like, I came here and I'm kind of new, I'm circuit church and out Jesus. Sometimes when you come to church and you talk to people, other Christians, and it feels like all we want is to get you saved and get you into heaven so we can put another notch on Jesus' belt of how many people say he, got, say he saved and got to heaven. And let me tell you, I want you to go to heaven, okay? I want you to experience mercy, forgiveness. I want you to know that your sins are not held against you, that you can confess them to Jesus, that they can be forgiven. I want you to know that. I want you to know that. But our heart, our mission, the mission of Jesus was not just to get us into heaven, but to get the parts of heaven that he wanted to get into us. And I want for you, I don't want you to just go to heaven. I want you to have this kind of peace. Because I have a hunch that you are going to encounter a world that is tense and stressful and anxious. And I want you to have something in you that transcends this world. So Paul, he closes this whole thing out. It sounds like a motivational speaker here at the end. Okay? It's kind of like one of those you're like, 
I mean, have I gone to a Tony Robbins event? What is this? Uh, it feels like it's the power of positive thinking. It feels like that's what Paul's saying. But there's something to this. There's something to it because Paul says, I want you to focus on what you already have, just like we started, when you can't get it anywhere. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You can choose to focus on the world around you, or you can choose to focus on what God has done in and through you already. You can choose to focus on all the negative stuff in the world, and there's plenty to go around, and it will impact you, or you can choose to focus on what God has already done. He is near. He is for you. He has been good to you. He has loved you. He has redeemed you. And here's what I want to tell you. What you're focused on will determine what you're filled with. You want peace, you want hope, you want to be gentle. What you're focused on will determine what you're filled with. And if you're focused on your boss, if you're focused on circumstances, if you're focused on, on, on finances, if you're focused on all the negative things, if you're focused on cable news, if you're focused on Twitter or threads or whichever one we're supposed to be on now, if you're focused on those things, that's what you'll be filled with. And Paul says, what if you focus on what's good, what's true, what's noble, what's right, what's praiseworthy? We can have a gentleness that flows out of an inward peace or a harshness that flows out of an inward anxiety. If we focus on this world around us, we won't be that much fun to be around. Here's, here's how I think I want to say it. If we find that the world out there is getting to us, you ever feel like that? It's getting to me. It's not a sign that something out there is wrong. Duh. It's a broken world. It's a sign that something in here is off. Something isn't taking root in here. Um, when you leave today, this is so simple, but I just wanted to do this. You're going to get this little guide. It's a peace and gentleness guide. It's like four easy steps to peace and gentleness. It's not my idea. It just walks through Paul, this passage. And it just, I would just wonder if you would just take it every day this week and take a moment to just do these things. Like, what can I rejoice about today? How can, I be, how can I remind myself that God is near today? What are two or three or four things that I need by prayer and petition to present to God? And what are some right and noble and good and holy and pure things that I can think on today? And I just wonder if you would just take this and just say, I'm just going to start a habit this week of doing this first thing. If we do that, if we do that, we might just find a peace that comes from another world. And if enough of us do it, if enough of us do it, that peace and gentleness together might start changing 
this broken world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for a source of peace and gentleness that you are near, that you are good, that we are not in this alone. God, I would just pray, um, I would just pray, God, for my brothers and sisters who are feeling anxious, who are dealing with, with hopelessness, with tension, with stress from all kinds of drama. God, I would just pray that today would be a day we could, we could lay it at the feet of our king. Not that you promise to fix it, but that you promise to fix us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, if you want to come up front today as we close and pray, you're welcome to do that. This is a place where you can come and say, Lord, I need some of this peace. I need to lay some things before you. Let's stand.